Well, I'm very excited. I want to I want to start a series today that I think is going to go on for a long time, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus throughout his life um, using all four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to take it chronologically. So. You know, sometimes we read the Gospels and it's just a mishmash of stories. And we don't know, did this happen before this? Did this happen when he was just about to die or at the beginning of his ministry? Or what? when does this fit in? How did, and I want to look at his whole life. And I'm very excited about it. The Lord's been blessing me greatly with it. And it's going to go on for a long time. So what we're going to do is we're going to make this our big overarching theme for a while. Is letting people see Jesus. And in the middle of that, every now and again, there'll be some other sermons thrown in, maybe another little series in the middle, or uh, we've got some good ideas for some other series um, as well. But this is going to be our, our overarching theme for a while, letting people see Jesus, looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospels. And I, it really is, it's food for the soul. It's exciting. We're going to paint a picture which is going to feed our souls. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, I'm going to, we, we looked at baby Jesus over Christmas, and I'm going to jump ahead now 30 odd years to when Jesus appears um, publicly and gets baptized by John in the Jordan. In the middle, in between this time, there's not much said about Jesus' life in the Bible. There's a little story when he's 12 years old about him going to the temple, and um, at the end of that, it just says in Luke chapter 2, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom, that means he got cleverer, in stature, that means he got big and strong, and in favor with God and men. He increased in favor with other people. People liked him more and more, but also with God. There's something that's going to come up today, which is a puzzle, but a lesson. And that is that Jesus never sinned he was perfect his whole life. He never did anything wrong, and yet he increased in favor with God. And when John the Baptist said to him, no, I can't baptize you, Jesus said, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, even though he was perfectly righteous already, he never sinned and he never would sin, he still, there were things he did which fulfilled all righteousness. And so the first lesson is that even if you are completely righteous before God, it's not just a question of not sinning, there's things that we can do as well. Not to earn God's favor or to keep us from going to hell or anything, but just because it's part of living for God and being righteous is doing things, increasing in favor, increasing and fulfilling all righteousness. So let's read the story. Imagine with me, if you can, the Jordan River is a desert area and the river's running through and there's probably some greenery on the banks of the river. And it says that the whole of Israel were coming to John to get baptized. This man, John, who wore camel um, kind of hair suits and, and leather belts and ate locusts. I don't know why he felt he had to eat locusts, but that was part of his job description as prophet, eat locusts and, and eat honey and don't drink any wine and wear funny clothes and probably have a funny hairstyle. He was an, he was an out there kind of guy and he's standing there in the Jordan and it says the whole of Israel were coming to him to be baptized. It was the biggest revival that the, the nation of Israel had ever seen. They'd never seen the whole nation turn to God like this. And John was the guy. He was amazing. And, and people were saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And he would always say, no, no, I'm not. Now, he was Jesus' cousin, 
There's some amazing little truths in here. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, probably once or twice removed. But John the Apostle, you know, John the one who wrote John and 1st John and 2nd John and 3rd John and Revelation, he was Jesus' first cousin, amazingly. His mom, Salome, was Mary's sister. And he was one of John the Baptist's disciples as well. So it's kind of this weird family affair going on. But it says that when Jesus came, appeared... At the edge of the Jordan, and John the Baptist is there, and John the Apostle and various others are there. Even though they're related, they didn't know he was the Messiah. Because John the Baptist says, I didn't know who he was going to be. But God said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one, the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sins of the world. So John didn't really know. And then suddenly Jesus comes, and he, oh, what's going on here? And then Jesus comes and says, I want to be baptized by you. John the Baptist says, no, no. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let us do this to fulfill all righteousness. I don't have to do it. I'm not going to go to hell if I don't. It's not going to be the end of the world if I don't. But there's some good things that I can do that are part of what God has planned for me. I don't do them out of fear or duty. I do them out of joy to fulfill God's plan for my life. That's how we as Christians should live. Not, oh, am I going to go to hell if I don't do this? No, no. I'm already righteous and accepted. But I get to do a whole lot of extra stuff to fulfill all righteousness. It's a wonderful way to live. Instead of fear and oppression as a Christian, it's freedom. You've heard the story about a man climbing up a mountain with a rucksack on his back filled with drink and food. And it's a heavy load as he climbs up the hill. It's law. It's pushing him down. But then halfway up the mountain, he takes his rucksack off and he eats all the food and he drinks all the drink. Now he doesn't have the load on his back and he's got energy in his belly and it helps him climb the mountain. That's Christianity. Instead of a load of laws saying, you shall, you shall not. No, I'm accepted but I eat and drink God's will and it gives me energy to do stuff for him. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. So let's read this wonderful story. I'm going to, it's in all the Gospels, but I'm going to read Matthew's account. It says, Matthew 3 verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. In other words, he was fully immersed. He wasn't sprinkled. Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And in John... John the Baptist says he remained on him. In other words, the dove never left, which is amazing. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. Just imagine the scene. Jesus has been baptized. Everybody around is kind of, whoa, there's something big going on here. I mean, John the Baptist is saying, no, no, you should baptize me. There's a big deal. And suddenly there's a voice from heaven. Jesus is standing there. He's come up out of the water. He's dripping wet. The sun's shining, I guess, I'm hoping, and it's a lovely day, <laughs> no big storms going on. And he's standing there, and suddenly the heavens are open, this dove has come down, and a voice says, This is my beloved son. 
My beloved son, the one I love, the one I have tender affection for. God, who in the Old Testament people thought was scary, harsh, judge, kill, judge, hurt, nah. No, no, God is saying, my dear, tender, precious son. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased or delighted is another way of translating it. It's kind of a fulfillment of Isaiah 42, verse 1, where God says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the Gentiles. This is what God was saying. My beloved son, I love him so much. And my soul delights in him. I'm well pleased in him. Can you imagine the scene? Have you ever had an earthly father or mother, parent, or maybe they haven't said it to you, but you've seen in, in another situation, an earthly mother or father saying to their child, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I love you. Well done. You know, the Jewish culture are so good at this. They're so proud of their children that they, they just make a big fuss of them when, whenever they do something well. Back home in Zimbabwe, I was at uh, a graduation ceremony at the University of Zimbabwe and there was uh, hundreds of people graduating, going up to the front and getting their you know, heads tapped or whatever and the one young boy, his dad had been so poor that he'd had to sacrifice everything for his son to go to university and when he went up and he got tapped on the head this little old man rural man ran up to the front and grabbed his big strapping son and lifted him up in the in the air went yay like this in front of all the people this is my son i'm so proud of him it's wonderful what he's done can you feel the affection and the affirmation of god to jesus this is my beloved Son, there's nothing wrong with him. I love him. I'm pleased with him. Not I'm ticked off. Not I'm a little bit upset or a little angry. Not I'm in a bad mood with him. No, I love him. I'm delighted with him. When I see him, my face breaks into a smile. I jump up, I run and I hug him. I've got photos of him on my mantelpiece. I love this boy. Why do we want to study the life of Jesus? The Bible says you and I are, listen to this, in him. (laughs) You and I, as Christians, are in him. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, Grace was given to us before the foundation of the world in Jesus. In him. We were in him. Grace was given us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Romans 6 verse 3 says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Ephesians 2 says, In him we were raised with him up into heavenly places and seated at the right hand of God. We're in him. We, it's a mystery, but you and I are hidden inside Jesus. From before the foundation of the world all the way through, we are inside him. Paul says, my life is hidden with Christ. When he appears, then my life will appear. We're hidden inside Jesus. And it's important for us to see what happened to him because we are hidden in him. That's why we study Jesus. 
There's some wonderful lessons in this, and, and we could pull out a lot of great teachings. We could talk about baptism. Baptism's a good thing. Let me just touch on it for a minute or two. Baptism is a good thing. It's not something we do because we're trying to earn God's favor. We're already righteous when we believe in Jesus. But we do it to fulfill all righteousness like Jesus did. If Jesus needed to get baptized, then I do. (laughs) People who say, I love God and this and that, but I don't want to get baptized. I just don't understand that. It's a wonderful opportunity to do what God wants. People say, why baptism, Greg? It's just so weird. Why do you have to go down and get under the water and dunked and up again? Why, why baptism? Let me just say this very quickly and as simply as I can. Baptism is a picture. The word baptism or baptizo in the Greek means submerged and engulfed. In old, old Greek literature, when a ship sunk under the sea... They said it was baptized. It means that the water engulfed it, covered it, filled it, surrounded it, completely overtook it. That's what baptized means. I don't know how we got into this weird thing that it means sprinkle. It never did mean that. It always meant plunge and engulf. And the reason that God wants us to do that is because it's a picture of us being in Christ and Him in us. It's the best picture. Imagine you take a cloth and you put it in a bucket of water and you plunge it under and you get it completely soaked. That's the picture of us being in the water and the water's in us. In Christ and he's in us. We're baptized in him. And so the Bible says we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized in water, and we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are three things that are supposed to really happen all at the same time, but they can happen at different times. But they're all the same thing. We're getting submerged and engulfed by Jesus. By water, which is a picture, by the Spirit, which is Him, and then we get put into Him. And so we're hidden inside Him through baptism. Let me just read what Romans 6 says to you. says to us, Romans 6 verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he goes on to say how we were in him when he was when he was killed, when he was buried, when he was raised again. Baptism is a picture of being in him and him in us. If you haven't been baptized, get baptized. It's just as simple as that. Don't think about it. Just do it. It's wonderful. And baptized in the Holy Spirit. You notice that Jesus comes up out of the water, and in Luke it says he was praying. It says, Luke 3 verse 21, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass... That Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. So Jesus comes up out of the water, and he prays. I guess he said, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me with your Spirit. Just like I've been baptized in water, fill me with your Spirit. Now this is significant. Jesus was 30 years old. Follow me on this. He was 30 years old. He had grown in wisdom, stature, Favor with God, with men. He was righteous. He'd never sinned. Man, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better person to do the work of the Lord. 
But he couldn't do it until he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus never did a miracle, never preached a sermon, never did any ministry, never did anything. The Son of God needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You and I need it as well. You say, what is baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's when the Holy Spirit comes like a ship going underwater. He covers you. He fills you for the first time. We need to be filled many times after that. But the first time is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You just get covered with the Holy Spirit. How do you do it? You go up to somebody who's a Christian. You say, please lay hands on me and pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a a sermon on our website uh, uh, on our podcast called How Can I Be Filled with the Spirit? If you want to listen to that, please do so. But you need, we need it. If Jesus needed it, I need it. Amen? So now let me get to what I really, the meat of what I wanted to say today. Friends, there's a, there's a big controversy in the body of Christ at the moment going on. And Personally, I'm glad it's going on because it's bringing stuff to the surface. There's a group of preachers who are teaching a message that other people are calling hyper grace. Okay? There's a group of them. They're saying um, they're teaching a hyper grace message. And And the others are saying that's not a good message. You can't tell people that God is always happy with them. That God forgives them for all their sins, even if they haven't confessed and repented of them. You can't tell people that. People need to feel the guilt when they sin. And they need to repent. And they need to get it right. Otherwise, their relationship with God is is damaged. So you've got hyper grace on the one side. Saying, God loves you. And you've got these other guys on the other side saying, you're being too gracie. Greasy grace, uh, sloppy agape. There's all sorts of words for it. There's, you're being too gracy, hyper grace. You need to temper it and tone it down a bit. It's very important that we get this. Why is it important? Because much of the New Testament Paul wrote, especially, but many others, were addressing this topic. Especially the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not let yourself be enslaved again by a yoke of bondage. The whole, Paul is at such pains in the book of Galatians to say, don't let yourself become enslaved by bondage again to law. Let me show you how it works. When you got saved, were you good? No. Had you read your Bible much? No. Had you prayed a lot? No. Had you obeyed God much? No. Had you fasted much? No. Had you been to church a lot? No. Were you a sinner? Yes. What did you do to get saved? You just accepted the grace of God. (laughs) You just said, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I accept the free gift like Christmas. I just get a gift that I didn't deserve. It's just wonderful. Receive the gift. But what happened to the Galatians and what happens to us, to you and to me, and don't look at me like it's not you, it's all of us, I promise you this happens to you, is after you've received it by free free grace, somebody says to you, 
Often a preacher, unfortunately. Yes, but have you? Have you prayed enough? Oh, what's that sin? You just committed a terrible thought in your mind? You've got to repent of it. Otherwise, your relationship with God is not good. And you go from freedom. Ah, thank you, Lord. It's a free gift. To bondage. Oh, no, I've got to repent. God, how do I repent? Do I cry? Do I, what do I, God, I'm so sorry. Have I repented enough? Was I sorry enough? Was I, did I, maybe I should fast a bit. Maybe, uh, maybe I must do something to make myself feel bad so I can earn my way back to where I was when I received that free gift. Now I've got to earn it again. Again, don't look at me in that tone of voice. We, we're all like this. I promise you, you are like this, and I am like this. It is our human fleshly nature to receive the gift, but then think, I have to earn it from now on. It is. You know, if we were in a meeting, and a person came up to the front and said, I want to give my life to Jesus, I've been sleeping around, I've been drunk, I've been this, I've been that, we would all say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's a free gift. Receive it. If two or three weeks later, that guy who'd given his life to the Lord came back and drunk and been sleeping around and said, I want to give my life to the Lord, we'll go, go, tut, tut. <coughs> Naughty. God is cross with you. You received the free gift, but now you've got to earn it. Are you seeing, starting to see there's a little bit of a problem here? Let me read to you some verses. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Great, so we've got peace. Now listen to this, verse, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for the, towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when I was far away from the Lord, Jesus died for me and accepted me. But now listen to this next verse. How much more then, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him? For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? The grace that applied when you got saved still applies now. You see, the, the teaching against hypergrace says when you sin, God is ticked off with you. God is happy with you when you get saved. Yes, love. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I pick him up. Hey, I love him. I love my son. I love this boy. The next day, you do something wrong. You break the speed limit. You curse. You say something wrong. They say, God is ticked off with you now. He was happy, but now he's angry. Or he's just a little distant. Or there's a little bit of shame. He's a little bit displeased. Ashamed, disappointed. It's in a bad mood with you. And if you do it more and more, he's more and more ticked off with you, and then he'll smack you. 
Now, our, our normal human minds say that makes sense. But the Bible says that is wrong. And friends, we have to decide, am I going to believe the Bible or not? Let me read you a few verses. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So you either believe or you don't believe, condemned or or not condemned, wrath or not wrath. John 5.24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. Romans 10.11, for the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no shame. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath or anger, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. No anger. 1 John 2 verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. That word propitiation is a long word. And it's a weird word because we never use it in normal language. But they've left it in the Bible. The NIV puts in brackets, the one who turns aside God's wrath and takes away our sins. He himself, it says, Jesus is the propitiation, the one who turns aside God's wrath and takes away our sins. Now what happens is, I received it when I got saved by grace. He turned aside God's wrath. God's not angry with me. I'm free. But now I think I have to earn it. Now I think I have to be good. If I sin, then God is angry. I'm condemned, there's shame, there's a blockage. That is not grace. That is law. That is a bondage that will stop you enjoying God's favor. It'll keep you pushed down and just not fruitful for God. You'll think, you see, this is the problem. Let me just test your logic for a second. If you... I'm not saying you believe this, but let's just say somebody says, when I sin, I have to repent, otherwise I'm cut off from God. Okay. Have you repented enough? How much do you have to repent to pay for that sin? I'll tell you how much. You need to go on a cross and die. What about all the sins? Have you got them all? What about that one that you forgot? What about that thing you should have done, which you didn't do, but you didn't know you should have done? That's a sin. Have you repented of that? Are you sure you've repented of every last one? Mm. And so what happens is instead of being bold with faith and joy, like we were when we first got saved, we're cowed down and loaded under guilt, fear, doubt. Am I okay, God? Am I okay today? Let me just repent a whole lot just to be careful. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. His blood is enough. You've got to settle this in your mind. 
If you are going through every single day thinking, have I repented enough? Am I good enough? What about this one? Have I been good enough to get God's answer to my prayers? Have I been good enough that God will protect my family from danger? Have I been good enough to do ministry? Have I been good enough to pray in church? Oh no, I sinned. Oh, better be careful. Can you see how this is not a helpful way to be? We're supposed to be free, like Jesus, standing up after his baptism. The Holy Spirit come on him and God booms up. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. That's you. That's me. Not because we're good. If we're trying to do it because we're good, that's the law and we'll never manage it. It's because Jesus did it for us and we accept it. Now the question that you will ask is, well, are you saying we should just sin then? And if you ask me that question, it's proof that I'm preaching the same gospel that Paul preached because they asked Paul that question. In Romans 6 verse 1 he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The gospel that Paul preached led people to ask him the question, So shall we sin then? And if we're not preaching the same gospel, if people don't say to us, Well, shall we sin then? We're not preaching the right gospel. (laughs) So you say to me, So Greg, shall we sin then? Let me just be clear about this. God loves you. Completely, He's not angry with you. He's not even in a bad mood with you. There's no need for shame. Your sins are forgiven, whether you're good or not. But sin will hurt you badly. (laughs) Sin will hurt you. It'll mess up your health. It'll mess up your life. It'll mess up your relationships with other people. It'll make you feel guilty in approaching God. It'll make you feel unable and unworthy to do anything for anyone. It'll open the door to the devil in your life. Sin is not a good thing. It's a horrible disease. It's worse than cancer. It's worse than a hook in a fish's mouth that drags him into a boat to die. Sin is a terrible thing. But we don't avoid sin because God is angry with us or because it will affect. God loves us and he smiles on us because of what Jesus did. But sin will hurt us. If a, a preacher that I love says this, If you sin, you're stupid. But God loves you, stupid. If you sin, you're asking for a whole lot of trouble in your life. You're giving the devil an invitation to come in. You're opening the door to a whole lot of rubbish. It's going to be a bad scene. But God loves you anyway. (laughs) It's not God who's ticking you off and saying, Oh, I'm distancing myself. No, he loves you. Don't run from God. Run to him. It's the devil that's the problem. So what am I saying? You and me are in Christ if we believe in him. And therefore, just as Jesus stood up there after his baptism, and God said, this is my dearly loved son, daughter. I'm so pleased with you. God says that to you. You say, oh no, that can't be me. I'm so bad. I'm so weak. I don't read my Bible enough. I sin. I think bad thoughts. It can't be me. It is you. If you think you have to earn it, you're in law. 
And Galatians 5 says, Christ profits you nothing if you're trying to obey the law. It's a free gift. But sin will hurt you. And God will help you avoid that sin. But it's not him that's blocking you when you sin. People say, well, do we repent then? Yes, we repent, but not to earn God's favor again, because it's a natural response. When I love someone, and when my sin is bad, I feel, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. And repentance comes out of it. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not that we have to repent to get his favor back. It's not that he says, I did love you yesterday, but you've sinned three times today. Therefore, unless you repent enough, unless the red bar of repentance goes ding, 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 high enough, then I won't love you again. That's not it. He says, I love you anyway. But repentance just comes naturally out of us when we do wrong. And it's not that we have to think, have I repented enough of every single sin? No, no. It's just a natural response. Repentance is not something that earns me salvation. It's a result of salvation. Okay, I've said a lot. You can see that I'm a little bit passionate about this one. It's a big deal, friends. You read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and he devoted just about every book of, that he wrote to this topic. Do not be bound again by trying to earn God's favor. It's a free gift. You will be... Depressed and oppressed until you realize you are free. And the fruit of it is you will live right. You'll live better. (laughs) You know, when they were building, I think it's the Golden Gate Bridge. It's a high bridge and 23 people on the first part of the Golden Gate Bridge that they were building, 23 of the builders fell to their deaths off the bridge when they were building it. 23. And they thought, oh, what are we going to do about this? So the next section of bridge, they put a safety net underneath. You know what? Only 10 people fell and they, and they weren't killed. Why? Because when there's a safety net, they felt more confident. And they didn't worry. When there was no safety net, they were thinking, oh, I'm not going to fall. Ah, die. When there's a safety net, you're confident and free. Friends, if you are concentrating on trying not to sin because you think you have to keep God's favor or earn his favor or not get cut off from him, oh, I I went over the speed limit and then I had a car crash and I didn't have time to repent before I died. Am I going to go to hell? If you are living like that, you will sin because you're focusing on sin all the time. But if you live knowing I'm free and there's a safety net, you'll have a confidence you'll live better than when you are trying all the time to think about sin. Try it. You'll live better by mistake than you ever did on purpose. So imagine the scene with me. Let's stand together. Let's imagine the scene. Jesus standing on the edge of the Jordan River. The Son of God. He's grown in wisdom and stature and favor. He's built for this task. And then he's been baptized and the spirit has come on him and God's voice has boomed out. He is ready for anything to do God's will. Friends, that's you. (laughs) That is you. That is you. Whatever guilt has been weighing you down and telling you you're not good enough, whatever it is in your life that's holding you back and you think, I can't do anything for God this year. It's this problem and this problem and this problem. You are free today. God loves you. He's got a picture of you in his wallet. He is delighted with you. Not because you're good, 
but because Jesus died for you. We're going to sing a worship song together, and I just encourage you to just receive that today. Just receive that freedom. And never again let the devil put you under a yoke of bondage and slavery. Amen.